Hello, welcome everyone to another uh, session in the uh, Sales and Business Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Murray Damin, uh, and today we have uh, a really good session um, with uh, a guest that I have been looking to have onto our show for quite some time. Finally managed to uh, get him to agree to a session, which is great. So my guest today is the CEO and founder of a company called Remarkable. Now, not to be confused with the tablet company Remarkable, his company has a hyphen in it. Now, he helps um, SaaS businesses uh, realize incredible growth uh, by focusing on the one thing that matters, and that's their customers. So rather than the unfortunate conventional approach of a lot of companies where they glorify new business, you know, and they incentivize very heavily towards new business, he actually helps SaaS companies become truly customer-centric to grow faster and more profitably. So to give you a flavor of what he is about, um, he makes clear on his website uh, the types of uh, clients that are good fit and those that are not so good fit. So some of the not so good fit examples that he puts in there are you know, those who think that they know it all, uh, people who expect to change results without changing behavior, uh, and those who are looking for shortcuts. So that gives you a bit of a flavor about him. So please uh, join me in welcoming someone who I know is going to make some of our listeners, right, some of you, very uncomfortable and shake your status quo. So please help me in welcoming uh, Mr. Marcus Wrench. Marcus, uh, welcome to the show. Hello, Moeed. Thanks for having me. So um, let's dive straight in, right? Um, why are SaaS companies so bad at looking after their customers and focusing on them for their growth? Yeah, there are several reasons why this is happening. So I like to call it um, a, toxic, a toxic culture that SaaS companies have adapted today where literally all the resources go into acquiring new customers. So if you dive into Google and, and look for growth strategies, you will find so many stuff about marketing and sales and nine of 10, 10 blog posts and articles, it's all about how to acquire new customers, which is quite ridiculous because that's not how SaaS works. I mean, you, you, have, to, you have to make customers retain. That's the, the fundamental, part of a SaaS company you, you can't survive without and you can't grow without. So why do companies have this strong focus on acquiring new customers? So one, one, one um, particular explanation I have for is it's today's zeitgeist. So people are in for instant gratification. So they want results now. So what SaaS companies basically do is they create a ebook or a million blog posts to create what they call leads. So then they have, I don't know, 10K leads per month. They shift them over to sales. Sales disqualifies 99% of these and signs the other 1%. And even among those 1%, you still have bad fit customers. So what they really create is they create vanity metrics, but no real business results. They create high customer acquisition costs and high churn rates. So, and from the customer success point of view, which is my point of view, but I look at it not from the, the team perspective, but from a company-wide perspective. 
but for the customer success team who inherits these kind of customers, they also have to, to fight lost battles because they get these customers who are a bad fit and customers who are bad fit, no matter what you do, you can turn them into great fits. So churn is inevitable. And this way you create a lot of actual costs and opportunity costs throughout the whole company. And that's obviously very unhealthy or how I like to call it, that's toxic growth. So it's, it's basically growth for the sake of it, but it's not sustainable and it's not profitable. And it also creates a culture of high pressure, especially for sales reps who have to meet ridiculous sales quotas based on sh short-term results. So they, they sign up these customers and three months later, they are already gone. So you will never, never see your CAC getting paid back. So in these companies, they really have, if you look into these companies, they have so bad metrics. They have CAC payback periods of two to three years or even, even more. And they create churn rates of 15%. And it, it's, really, it's really crazy. And all the, all the venture capital that's floating around these days, it makes things worse because the founders and the CEOs think they have basically unlimited funds and they can never run out of cash. But that's not true. They will quickly run, run out of cash. And it's my mission to start some kind of awakening to, to make people reconsider their uh, practices and go back to a more healthy approach to growth, where you grow with the customer in mind, because that's, that's your source of growth. So in my book, it's not about growing the company, it's about growing the customer value and then monetizing the customer value. And that, that's, the way, that's the way to grow. That's in my mind and where I want to like to um, start some kind of, yeah, a movement. A movement away from, from, the, from growth for the sake of growth to customer-centric growth. Well, that, there was a lot in there, right? So let's, let's start to unpack some of that because I, I agree with everything that you're saying. Um, there, there's a toxic culture um, not just within the business, but the forces that shape businesses. So the investor, that from the investor level down to the CEO and down to the expectations that they push. So let's start with the, one, the first thing, which is why should companies look at becoming more custom-centric? What are the numbers that show that actually this is the best approach because these are the results you're going to get? Because you're going to come across a lot of, a lot of people um, that are going to resist what you're saying, uh, and either because they're not they're not they're not used to any other way, or that they strongly believe that this is the best way to grow shareholder value, which in itself is just not always the right approach to take. So, so what are the numbers that prove and show that taking that customer centric approach is actually going to be of benefit to everyone involved? Yeah. So before we jump into the numbers, I would like to to appeal to common sense. I mean, in SaaS. It's, it's quite easy to build a SaaS company today. So you can build one for, I don't know, $1,000. So the actual consequences, there are many, many, many companies. So there, there is also the, the, the famous um, graphic uh, about MarTech companies, where there are only, I think, seven or eight K companies only in MarTech today. So of course, that's intense competition. So when competition is intense, keeping and growing the customer becomes really more important because 
um, the competition drives customer acquisition costs. They are growing continuously. If you look up the, the stats, they have grown like 80% in the past five years. That, that's incredible. So replacing- What, the number of companies customers. or the customer acquisition growth? The customer acquisition, acquisition costs Cost. grew by, I think, 80% in the past five years. Wow, that is a huge, and, and that's SaaS across the board, or are there any specific industries or types of SaaS products that you're seeing it's the most? SaaS, but I, I think it, it, there's a range between 60 and 80%. So that's a huge amount. Among different industries, I think, I think vertical industries have less custom acquisition costs. So, which is also makes sense to me, but that already shows it, it, it's really incredible how much you have to invest into acquiring new customers. So when you have customer acquisition costs that high and at the same time, um, customer expectations are growing continuously because of course they have basically infinite uh, choices. So if, they, if you don't deliver what they want, they will move on and go to someone else by next week. So they, they won't care, they will just move on. So these are the things that, that need to, to make companies uh, reconsider their approach, how, how they, how they um, deliver customer success and customer experiences. So really that, I mean, everybody says you have to take care of the customer. It's, it's really, really important, but it's, it really is. That's not marketing speech. These are not buzzwords. This, that's the reality today. That high level of competition makes it inevitable to put a strong focus on, on customers and the customer success and customer experience. So, and, and if you look up at the numbers, uh, recently, I think two or three weeks ago, I, I, I checked out um, new stats um, showing that growth with existing customers is by far more um, effective and efficient than acquiring new customers. So I, I've seen a stat where um, expansion and uh, revenue from, exp from expansion brought um, for the top companies brought on a return investment of 1150%. So basically for $1 wow. spent, you got 12 and uh, $12.50 in return. Wow. That's incredible. So and while the best companies um, got 18% return investment from sales. So these are the best companies. So the worst mm. companies have like something, um, they spend like, um, I think two and a half dollar for generating one new dollar in revenue from new acquisitions. So basically they're, they're operating a gross profit, gross profit loss. Exactly. So, mm. so that, that's really crazy. And, and that's, but that's what so many companies do today. They raise um, a pile of cash and then pour it all into a, I like to, to call it a, a leaky bucket. Mm. So they invest into an, an acquisition process that converts at like one or 2%, so which is extremely low. And also they have, um, they, they don't care about customer quality. So they, they acquire basically each and every one and then they get 15 or 20% churn. So they are burning through the cash like crazy. While at the same time, they could grow exponentially with their existing customers. So what they, what they, right. what they don't seem to understand is that conversion rates 
for existing customers um, regarding expansions and upsells is so much higher. And it's, it's, it's really, it's highly logical. A customer who already gets value and wants to further scale the value will have a much more higher likelihood to buy more resources than a customer buying your product without any prior experience. Yep. That's, that's what makes it so incredibly um, efficient and effective to sell to existing customers. So basically what most SaaS companies do today is they are trying to maximize the number of customers. But my view is that the way to, the best way to grow is to maximize the value per customer and at the same time optimize the customer lifetime value. Yeah. Through expansions, upsells, and also there are other great side effects like a highly successful customer is of course more likely to recommend your product to yes. someone else. So then you basically you, you create you create like um, a helix instead mm -hmm. of, of a funnel. And that, that's that's the great thing. And the better do you do that, the more efficient also new customer acquisition becomes. Because a customer who, who comes from a referral is a totally different lead that someone comes from um, downloading your ebook. That, that's not even comparable. So if why the probability of, 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 of converting that customer? But, so everything you're saying makes sense, common sense, as you say it, right? Um, we all know that you know it's, it's something like ten, depending on the business and type of, you know, it, it's ten to fifty times both harder and costlier to acquire a new client versus to keep and grow an existing client. We know that. We know that if you um, if you if you go along that model, if your churn rates are too high and your, 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 your cost of new client acquisition is also high, at some point, you're actually going to be unprofitable. You're going to run out of money. Um, we know that this all happens and this, we know all these stats and they make common sense. So why do you feel it's got to be more than just a toxic culture? You know, why is it that the leaders of the business don't see these very clear facts and statistics? What is stopping them from becoming a bit more customer centric because you're not saying by the way forget about new customer acquisition you're saying spend a little bit more time on growing your customers and spend more time on making sure that your new sales team new business team are acquiring the right types of customers where where you're going to create more success for them as well as for yourself so what is stopping the business leaders from taking that approach? Because it's got to be more than just a toxic culture. Yeah, I think one big problem is basically the, the free money that's floating around. So if you're going to LinkedIn, there, there's not a single week going by where there's no one announcing um, a big new funding round of, I don't know, $300 million. So it's really crazy. So companies that, that's, I mean, I really don't get it. How can you even spend so much money? So, I mean, okay, you can spend it over, let's say, five years, but why do you need to raise so much money now? So, so to me, it would make more sense to raise 50 million now and, I don't know, raise another 50 million uh, two years later. So, basically, for less equity, 
would make much more sense to me. So I really don't know. And then all the, these, I think, I think the founders are really blinded by all that, that money. So they, they really, they really don't care. I, I, yeah, I don't know. It looks like they don't care about what happens after the sale. So all they want to make is the sale, grow the company value and yeah, really don't care what, what, what happens afterwards. So I have the feeling that barely any founder is, is in for playing the long game. So to build a sustainable business. So to me, it looks like it's about um, creating a big bubble and then aim for a quick exit. And it looks like that the venture capitalists also are on the hunt for the same. Right. So I really think this, this toxic culture happens from venture capital founders and then in the company, marketing sales, who, who are then tasked with, as I've said before, um, creating basically um, many metrics. So who are creating this many leads and this many sales even, even when they already know, okay, it won't last. So they are really creating short-term results. And that's, that's, the, that's the big problem. So I also think that, that many new founders are blinded by, let's say, the, the Hollywood factor, you could say, of these yes. companies. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's ego-driven, it's greed-driven. You know, yes. they, they, they're looking to make that exit as fast as possible to make that money. Um, but also to have their name placed up there as one of those people that ha was able to do something like that. Um, okay, so it seems to be those are the... So let's talk about examples of companies or maybe if you want to describe how they... What does best look like, right? So what? So for any of those that are listening here now who are, who are business owners, they're like, you know what, Marcus, I'm convinced, right? I'm in this for the long term. I want to maximize my value, but also the value we give to the market and the community. How should I go about becoming more customer centric? What examples are there of people or businesses that have done this very well? So most importantly, you have to change your mindset. I mean, change is always difficult, but you need really need to do it. So the first step to change in my book is to really realize um, that not everybody is your customer. Not everybody needs your product and not everybody will benefit from the product. Right. So that that's all companies with this, what I call it, uh, out of the toxic culture, they all do the same. They think everybody needs the product and the, the approach to sales and marketing is everybody needs a product. So that's when you check the websites, all you see are this generic messaging, like we automate your marketing or stuff like that. So really, so they are really not narrowing anything down because they don't want to exclude anyone in any use case. So basically they don't really have any positioning. So they say we are the solution for everybody, which is obviously bullshit to me, but this really drives yeah. all, the, all this behavior. So the first step to, to change is to go from, from this quantity-based approach to a quality-based approach and to start thinking, okay, who will benefit the most from our product? Who is this customer? And then build and shape everything around. So that's basically the absolute core idea 
of being customer centric, not to focus on helping, trying to help each and everyone, even when you have the, the purest of interests, but just look into who can I help the most and who will probably see um, the most benefits from our product. So it's less about total addressable market, more ideal client market, right? Ideal client exactly. profile. So right. also ideal client, I have often have the feeling it also has become a buzzword, but it's really important. And basically the ideal client is what I've said, the ideal client is the customer who will see that the most value from our product. And at the same time, we will want to monetize that customer. So the customer who is the most successful will also be the most profitable for our company. And that's, that's a way to grow profitable and sustainable. So basically you don't, you stop creating 10K leads per month. Maybe you only have 500 leads per month afterwards, but you close them at much higher rates and churn goes down by, I don't know, 90% or 80%. And that's how you grow sustainably. And you also, of course, need far less cash to do it. So it's, it's really, when I read someone gets a series G investment, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just bullshit to me. I mean, I am fine with, let's say, ABC rounds um, of venture capital, but afterwards the company should have um, found a way to grow on its own. That's interesting. So, so first best, best practice, let's call it, is get clear on who your ideal clients are. And, and the way that you put it, <clears throat> those, those companies or those individuals who are going to benefit the most from your products and services, who will get the most value from products and services. So that's the first thing. What else, what else do some of these uh, best practice companies do? I have a feeling that there should be something around <clears throat> the sales infrastructure, um, you know, in terms of incentives, rewards, et cetera, and the KPIs. Maybe you'll get to that later on, but what, what is the next thing that the best companies, what else does best companies do? To become customer yeah, so, so let, let's continue with the mindset. Um, when we talk about customer success, we usually refer to the customer success team who handles the customer after the purchase. But to me, customer success, I mean, you need the team, but customer success is more like a, a philosophy, a company operating system. So where everybody is part of it. So when we talk about sales, uh, sales reps are no longer the people who are trying to, to sign every customer that's possible, mm. but to evaluate, do the product and the customer match. And so only so if everyone's match, job is customer success, right? exactly. it's not just the customer success team, right? So basically marketing and sales are um, doing the preparations. So they, they basically create the, the foundation of customer success. So, so one thing I always found um, astonishing is you have these customer success teams and their job is to um, create a maximum of retention rate. But the point is they are inheriting the customer and they have no influence over. So you get all these bad fit customers and, and your, your, your work is evaluated um, on KPIs where you only have um, partial influence over. So that, that's obviously bullshit to me. So that's why customer success needs to start way earlier. But by, to, to me, customer success starts with setting the right expectations.
that's the important thing. So if a customer wants, wants B and I'm selling A, the customer should never talk um, to a sales rep because no matter what, the company can deliver what the customer wants. But that's what many companies are not doing. So they are manually disqualifying customers in the sales process. Customers that would um, automatically disqualify themselves earlier if we, we would have set the right expectations. So and that's that we're talking about sales productivity. So when sales spends 80 or 90% of the time with non-buyers, bad fit customers, of course, they, they will, will sign um, far less deals and also bad deals. But if we can change that and increase the time uh, sales reps spend um, with great fit customers, you will also see more growth from new acquisitions. And that's the astonishing part. So if you really make customer success company-wide initiative, everyone will benefit. And you will grow faster and cheaper from all sources. And let's not forget um, when you have all these, these um, short-term goals like a quarterly sales um, quotas, it creates mm. a high amount of pressure leading to the practices where sales reps are really trying to sign everybody that's possible only to reach the quota. Mm. So here we are back again with the, with the toxic culture. So there's a few things you've mentioned in there. Um, I want to come back to this point of the sales quota, but before doing so, how do you make sure that everyone's, how do you make sure that um, customer success is everyone's job? Let, let, let's talk specifics here. Like what, what levers, what operation, what, what elements of operation actually helps accomplish that? So the, the most important thing is the CEO. If the CEO doesn't buy in, and say, okay, we make we build a culture where everybody is part of customer success. It's basically impossible. Yeah. Okay. Because if the CEO doesn't buy in, why would anyone else do it? Fair. Yeah. So, to me, everything starts with the CEO is defining the company's positioning. So the CEO needs to define what is it that we want to sell. What is the customer success goal? So basically, you, you, what, what you're, you're selling one thing and all your customers come because they want this particular one thing and nothing else. So and then you will create the alignment around the single mission goal. And then you define everybody's job um, to contribute to it. So that's the most important thing. Um, something else that's very, very important is um, normally, SaaS companies um, have different goals for all their teams. Right. So basically, marketing is tasked with creating a high number of leads. Um, sales needs to meet the quota, and customer success teams um, need to, to hit some uh, retention rate. So, and of course, there's a big problem because these goals are contradicting. So, because everybody um, is basically hunting for a quantitative um, metric and they will obviously um, do everything to achieve it. So if I'm a marketer and I have to create 10K leads per month, I will do whatever it takes basically. But of course, to meet my goal, I 
won't care about lead quality. Yeah. So then you move on to sales. So sales gets a lot of bad leads, but they had they have to meet the quota. So what are they going to do? They also convince bad fit customers to buy. Mm -hmm. So and then then it, the problem moves on to to customer success and on and on and on. So and that that's really the problem. So what SaaS companies also need to do is. Um, um, align the bonus for everybody in the company on a single metric. So the perfect metric for that is for me the net retention rate, because that's the most um, the, the KPI who who says the most about um, your sustain, sustainable growth. So the best SaaS companies have um, net retention rates of I think 150 percent, and that means they are even when they don't acquire a single new customer, they grow 50% with your existing customers. And to grow 50% of existing customers, it's obvious that you can't afford a high churn rate. So if your churn rate is 20% or something, and, and you want to achieve a 50%, 150% net retention rate, it's literally impossible. So no one, no one really can cheat or fake it or do some last minute sales or something to influence it. So basically, so, everybody in the company has an interest to um, create sustainable growth, not just growth, but sustainable growth. That makes absolute sense. So what met, can you give examples of the types of metrics, for example, marketing, what types of metrics or KPIs should marketing have that aligns to the model you just described? So the, 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 the top level metric should be the net retention rate, as I've said, for everybody. Yeah. But also um, you, you need to, to create more uh, qualitative oriented metrics. So Such the as. number of leads doesn't really matter. But mm. what matters, for example, is um, how you're going from marketing qualified leads to sales qualified leads. So if you so have, what the, you mean the percentage, what percentage growth of marketing, marketing qualified leads becoming sales qualified leads? Is that is that what you mean? Yes. So for most companies, uh, there's something like um, sales disqualifies ninety or ninety five percent of marketing qualified leads. Leads. Yeah. So that's basically you're, you're creating a lot of waste. You you can't you can't really. Uh, I mean, I don't know how to describe it in another way. You're just creating a lot of waste, a lot of a lot of noise. You could basically say. So you're saying that marketing would share. So marketing's targets wouldn't be marketing qualified leads; they would be actually probably sales qualified leads. Yes. So, so ideally, you would have um, a 100% overlap, which is unrealistic, right. but you should definitely aim for a higher overlap. So, I mean, if you have I don't know five percent overlap, that's it's really bad. So you right. should aim for something like 20, 25%. And as the company matures even more. So basically you're not saying, you're not saying marketing should be targeted on bringing in a certain number of leads. If I use, if I use a slightly different language, not language, different nomenclature for it. You're basically saying number of leads that fits within the ideal client profile. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. So when you have the higher fit, it's also more likely that you convert these customers. 
So, and yeah. also at the same time, you, you basically increase sales performance. And how would you, how would you measure marketing's role in retention rate of customers? So marketing is basically doing the setup by bringing in the right leads. So you, you need to, I mean, when you're defining the ideal customer profile, it's not about describing them as, I don't know, what kind of industry they are, or the company size or the location or something. But I think about the ideal customer. Um, I mean, my approach to defining the ideal customer is a re reverse engineering approach. So yeah. you look into your existing client base and look into what do your most successful and profitable customers have in common. So maybe they have a specific process. Maybe they are from a specific industry. It's, it's possible. Or maybe they have um, the right culture. So that's that really are the things uh, you have to look into. And that's what, what marketing's job is basically to, to find more of these ideal customers, of these proven ideal customers. So what, what marketing and sales teams usually do is they work with assumptions about the ideal customer. But customer success is working with the customers and they see who really are the ideal customers. Because you know who is, who is growing the fastest, who needs um, the least um, inputs, who are the most profitable. So my idea also is to, when you align the company on customer success, you should also give everybody access to all customer data. So everybody needs to see a complete customer profile. So you have the customer who is um, the most profitable, and then you look into the data, who is the customer who is the most profitable? So, so are, are, you seeing, are, you seeing companies, are you seeing companies out there who are still segregating that data, right? And kind of, you know, where marketing won't be able to see what customer success is seeing about the information about that company, et cetera. Are you still seeing that kind of segregation? Yeah, the, the, the silo thinking is, it's, yeah, it's, it's, highly dominant still. So basically everybody sits on their own pile of data and they're not really talking with each other. So there's a lot of friction and there's no, no really exchange. So, but, but to me, um, customer success teams are to mm. me the eyes and ears for sales, yeah. marketers, product and leadership because they see what's going on. They were working with the customer. They understand yeah. the customer, they understand the needs understand their outcomes, they understand who they are, and they really need to, to pass that information to everybody else. So if you have the customer, then you have the customer success team in between the customer and your company. So That's me, interesting. Yeah. To me, the customer success team has two major roles. The first is, of course, help the customer to get value, and at the same time, to mine all that customer intelligence and then inject it into the company's decision-making. So that's interesting. So, so I wanna go, I wanna continue down this route because, you know, it, it sounds, it really makes sense. Not for, I don't say philosophical, it really makes sense for, from, from a model standpoint. 
And it's clear that it's got to, you've got to start with the mindset and that comes down from the CEO in terms of his or her expectations with the rest of the business. You want to have shared kind of metrics or, or KPIs, shared responsibilities that are centered around, you know, retaining the right type, acquiring the right types of customers, retaining as many of those right customers as possible, and then growing doing everything you can to grow those customers. And instead of the, you know, the industry standard or kind of SaaS standard 10 or 15%, 150%, 115% retention level, you're talking about 150, maybe even 200% retention level if they're putting more of that attention and focus on growth through the customers. So that all makes sense to me, Marcus. What I'm trying to understand now is... <laughs> How would the CEO, you've got a CEO that, that gets this and wants this. How does the CEO hold his or her leaders accountable to making sure that happens? Because oftentimes the leaders are really the problem, especially first line sales managers, right? You know, because they're often, they don't come with that kind of leadership training, even the leadership qualities experience. A lot of them, unfortunately, even in 2021, still come to leadership because they were great salespeople, uh, which is just ridiculous. So how would the CEO um, ensure and hold his or her leaders accountable to making sure that those things you describe happen, right? More than just the KPIs, it's, it's more like, you know, how do they encourage their teams when they do feel that pressure to hit their goals, for example? That's a great example of that because um, that's a very common situation. So what, what's, your, what's your guidance there? What have you seen in terms of best practice? Yeah. So one idea that, that comes to my mind is to make, uh, to create some, um, let's say more inclusion. So when you define the ideal customer profile, um, my idea is to bring all these leaders together. So everybody, everybody has access to the data and then, bring it, then you bring all these, these leaders together. So they together define who is the ideal customer? So if everybody participates, you will create a much higher engagement. Right. Because basically everybody yeah, is a part of it. So, so you, you make a part of it. Instead of, of saying that's it, you bring in these leaders and let them participate. Okay. So you've done that with the leaders. What about first line? So now the leaders are in agreement with the CEO right? Ideal client profile. Yes. I'm assuming also that their, their, their MBOs or their, their objectives, objectives, sorry, and their performance reviews are going to include being able to champion something like this, right? So that makes sense. What about the managers below that now? So we're talking, you know, directors, VPs, or not, sorry, not necessarily VPs, but first line managers, those who probably feel the pressure, right? Middle managers often feel a lot of pressure from a 360 degree angle. How, how, how should the leaders ensure that those first line managers do not start to exhibit those destructive behaviors? What is, that, what is the leader's responsibility to making sure that doesn't happen? Yes, yeah, so as I said before, I think that toxic culture really comes top down. So if the CEO changes the mind and the, the C, C executives um, change the mind, it's much more easier to pass on a more healthy culture down the road. So if you're in sales and you are really the, the person, as you said, who feels the pressure, they will feel the relief. And it's not like they are not seeing all the bad things are going on. 
The problem is they can't change it. So if, if I have to meet a sales quota and I see, okay, we have so many bad fit customers and we are already quite sure they will churn in a few months already. So why would they object to, to getting relieved of this pressure? So when, I, when I'm talking um, to the people, to sales marketers or customer success um, managers, basically they all see it, but they can't change it. That's the problem. So just, um, I think a week ago, I was talking with a customer success manager and she told me she's seeing all the things are going on. She, she has to serve this customer, but she exactly knows, okay, the customer can never be profitable but she can't escape it. So that the people who are doing it daily, they already know and they already see it and they already want the change, but they need, the change needs to come top down. And that's the important okay. part. And that, that's, a, that's a scary piece of change, right? For a lot of the CEOs, particularly the larger the business or more established, that might be scary, but you're, you're, you're really saying it, it, it you know, it's a system-wide and infrastructure-based change, right? From from leadership expectations down to how they are, how they're incentivized and even rewarded uh, for for the work that they do, down to uh, the way that the teams are structured themselves, and and then therefore the KPIs and the metrics, and even how they lead their teams um, on a day-to-day -day basis, right? It, it sounds like it's that type of completely infrastructure-wide change that's required and that that to me feels that to me feels like a risky change that a lot of ceos are, are going to be unwilling to make even in a tranche level where they do it bit by bit because of the the nature of their business right um what what experience do you have with people who who are fearful of making that kind of change so basically there are two kinds of ceos there are the CEOs who really they are into this toxic culture. I mean, they, they probably don't know themselves, but they are really that, that sales triggered and they just want to, to run marketing and sales and hire more sales rep and, and grow this way. And then there you have the CEOs who are already, basically they're more, um, more reflective. So basically they already have thought about it. They, they, in their mind, there already is um, the thought of, there must be some better way to grow. So basically there is already some kind of seed and what you can do is nurture that seed. But I'm, I'm not making any uh, delusions about um, changing everybody. So because man, it's, it's really, I, I don't know how to exactly describe it. It's, it's just the, the way things are today. So many people are really, um, coping what everybody else does. So they see a successful founder yeah. growing a really big SaaS company. And so basically they are, want to do exactly the same. Yeah. Funny thing is that they really don't know what, what they already um, have been doing. Yeah. So they, they really don't, don't understand why they are successful. So there's another interesting metric. Um, if you look at, at, at um, companies with hundred million ARR and more, they already make 50% with their existing customers of new mm. ARR. And just recently I've seen a number of, of Salesforce, they're making more than 70% of the new revenue with existing customers. So Salesforce basically- is, is Salesforce is doing that? Or Salesforce, is it, is... yes. So, right. 
so many founders are following a best practice, a supposed best practice that really doesn't even exist. So, but all the all the buzz and fuss and hype that's going on in SaaS, that's why I like to call it Hollywood style. <laughs> so yeah. all this glamorous stuff on the surface, uh, but so so many founders are blinded. So the the really CEOs um, that are interesting to me are those who are already reflecting and, and thinking about there must be another a better way to grow a SaaS company. And of so, course, okay. CEOs and founders who really want to build a sustainable business. So if you are in for a fast exit within three to five years, please don't come to me. You're definitely yeah. not my client. Okay. So, so, so what, how should salespeople be targeted? You talked earlier about the toxic culture of having quarterly, uh, quarterly targets. What, what types of tar what targets should salespeople have? So, so one, like the quality uh, metrics, as I've said, the NRR, or yeah. so salespeople um, contribute to it because they bring in the right people. So you can only grow a customer if the customer is a strong fit. So basically um, you're laying the seed for success. So that's, that's also a highly important role, of course. But more important than, than trying to hit some quarterly um, quotas is um, to look at the bigger picture, to, um, to grow, really grow sustainable, to, to look at it, um, to look at conversion rates instead of, um, of pure um, monetary KPIs. So, because the thing is also, um, revenue is just one part and the cost of revenue are the other part. Mm -hmm. So you also want to create um, a quick CAC payback rate. Why? Because the faster it's repaid, the faster you can reinvest it. And the faster you can reinvest it, the more momentum you will create. So you're does that saying... Make sense? Uh, I it does. Although, so you're saying, I guess what I was trying to understand is, should they be yearly? So I, I get the conversion rate element, but the reality is that we also need to grow business by acquiring new clients, even if we're doing customer centricity very well. So are you saying new business salespeople shouldn't have new business overall sales targets? Or are you saying that they should have targets, but they should also be in conjunction with other types of metrics like conversion rates, maybe even in this, this discussion that I've been having where salespeople, um, even whether new business, you know, new business salespeople, for example, they shouldn't be paid out very much for acquiring the customer, but actually their payout, their commission rate grows uh, with every year that that customer is retained. Um, even though they may not have as much of an involvement because of the accounts manager and the customer success and that success, sorry, and that's a whole different discussion. But are you saying that, are you saying that, that they should have new business targets, but in conjunction with things like conversion rates, or are you saying they shouldn't really have new business targets, like overall sales targets? They should have targets that are combined uh, with a quantitative goal and a qualitative goal. Right. And so, should they so then be- You want to targets? bring in new sales, but you don't want to bring in new sales for the sake of it. And as I said earlier, that makes right. you also um, acquire bad fit customers. Right. That, that, that makes doesn't sense. make sense. 
Yeah, that makes sense now. So should they have yearly targets? What, what, what? Talk to me about the structure of the targets, right? So you said quarterly is not great. Um, what should they be? Yeah, I think the best ways to have uh, annually um, targets. Right. Because of course there, there are deals um, that just take longer. So, and, and one highly important thing is um, you want to build a strong process. But if you are, you have to meet your, your uh, sales quota, your quarterly sales quota, you will do whatever it takes the last five days or something, the last two weeks or three weeks, three weeks yeah. or whatever that makes you um, leave the process. Right. Okay. So, and, and how, how do you, how do you measure whether the, the, the salesperson is pacing at a healthy rate as well? Right. So how would you, cause, cause the natural question there is if it's a yearly target and our sales cycle is actually shorter than that, um, then how do I know when someone's not meeting up to their objectives and you know, that, you know, they, they're not good for the business either. Yeah, that's quite a problem, I have to admit. And honestly, I don't have a perfect solution for it. Right. But, but to me, it's important to, to help At least ask the question. get rid of this, um, this, this addiction to, text, to tactics. Yeah. So I want companies to build systems and processes and improve um, systems and processes and not, their tech, not try new sales hacks or marketing hacks or stuff like that. Yeah. So this, this is, I'm conscious of time. This has been a very interesting discussion, right? And, you know, not enough companies, you know, a lot of companies talk about customer centricity, Mark, but in my view and, and from the research and, and the discussions I've had with so many companies, right? Across 10 different industries, anecdotally, I would say probably less than 1% are truly customer centric. Right. Um, Agreed. And, and, and I think there's also a, a misdefinition of what customer centricity really, really is. Um, so, so what you've shared has been incredibly valuable. And, you know, the key takeaways for me are, you know, growth, the, some of the biggest growth, the most profitable growth you will get is from looking after your customers and growing their, their spend with you. Right. And there are obviously various tactics we didn't get into today. But, but that is one of the best source of growth for you as a business to grow profitably for the long term, right? Not just to have an exit in five, five years. Um, the other thing I, um, I took away is having that focus also means that you are crystal clear on who your best clients are out there and what makes them best. And you are creating a leadership and an and infrastructure in your business that is focused around finding and acquiring more of those best fit, best fit customers, retaining more of them and growing the spend of those businesses. That in itself actually is one of the best tactics, best strategies for a hyper-competitive world as you stated earlier, right? Because most people think to grow market share, you need to grab more customers, but all the while there's a drip, there's a leaky bucket as you, as you described it. Uh, so actually, this is not a very profitable thing. So I thought this was a very, very valuable session. And I think you're going to make, uh, you know, you're going to change the status quo of quite a few people that listen to this. Um, and it's certainly going to uh, arouse some, some, some debate, right? So, and uh, strong feelings, which is what we want. So, so thank you for doing that, Marcus. I have a couple of questions for you before, before we wrap up. Um, my first question is, um, 
who's your biggest influence right now whether that's a book an expert podcast you know who, who are you learning from at the moment that's having a big impact on you yeah one important person for my work is uh, Lincoln Murphy he's also a consultant Sorry, for SaaS growth Lincoln Murphy Lincoln Murphy right so he's quite like-minded I would say he's also really challenging the way companies SaaS companies grow and I think it's quite refreshing so when you look up his website and look at other websites you see quite a difference so it's really been let's say maybe he was the guy who also made a wake-up call for me to to think more about these things so yeah he's definitely been the most most uh, important influencer to me so um another sources of inspiration thoughts are, are profit well they are um mm -hmm. They are also doing, they're doing a lot of research in the SaaS uh, industry. So they're really, um, they're really digging up benchmarks. So they are comparing um, growth from, from new acquisitions, from retention, from pricing, et cetera, et cetera. So they always give me a lot of view into, let's say, um, um, to confirm my points of view. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So um one one more question before we ask uh, we ask about um how people can get in contact with you so if there was one thing that you wanted our viewers and listeners to take away from from this discussion today what what would that one thing be what would that most important thing be customer centricity rethink your business the way you you start with the customer and find out for yourself what is it that you want to deliver to a customer and who will benefit the most and then rethink everything you do in your business and build everything around that very core idea yeah yeah i, I couldn't agree more so marcus how can our how can our viewers and listeners uh learn more about you and get in contact with you yes yeah, so i'm quite active on linkedin i'm usually posting uh, daily sometimes even on the weekend. So a lot of people already are reaching out to me. That's, that's um, yeah, that's great. So um, mostly customer success managers, but also account manager, marketers, sales reps. So it's really funny. So a lot of people are really interested in that, that kind of topic. Um, and that's what I've been saying before. The people um, who are doing the jobs daily, they already know what's what's going wrong. So they are, they are I have the feeling they're looking for someone who um, helps them um, take their, their uh, concerns to a higher level where change can happen. So that, that's quite interesting. So yeah, if you want to um, get in touch with me, the, the easiest way is to get on LinkedIn, send me a direct message or engage with my content. So yeah, I'm really open to everything. I'm also trying to uh, take as many um, um, podcasts and, and and, and chats as possible. So uh, it's, it's not always possible. I've built quite some backlog already, but I'm really trying to really uh, talk to everybody who wants to talk to me um, about customer success and customer success as a company-wide initiative. So yeah, I'm, I'm already passionate about, yeah. And I think we are just at the beginning and there's a, still a long way to go, but I'm really positive that we will change some minds and yeah hopefully um, can bring some change to the SaaS industry.
Yeah, I, I think you will. And I, I can feel this change happening, not just in the SaaS industry, but in the sales profession as well, and people's view of sales. It's still not there. We still have a long way to go, but it's starting to change and people starting to take a, a different view of sales. So, so I, I, you know, thank you for um, taking the time to uh, come on our show and to share your insights and your approach um, that there is a better way to grow your SaaS business um, than the conventional wisdom out there, Marcus. Thank you so much for that and really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, if, if for all our viewers and listeners, if you want to learn more about Marcus, I will leave uh, the links in the, in the comments and the chats below. Uh, so until the next session, thank you. And, uh, you know, continue to think about your growth, both personal and professional. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Thank you for inviting me.